Long Beach Sermons, visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. Good morning, everyone. Yes, please be seated. And our friends on Zoom out here on the patio, all our different spaces, just a big welcome for you. Oh, and there they are. Hey, hi, good to see you. <laughs> yes, we love that we get to be together in all of these different and creative ways. So welcome. You are at City Church of Long Beach, just in case you're confused, where we are a radically welcoming community on the journey towards Jesus, joining him in the renewal of all things. And today is kind of like, it's a busy Sunday. I don't know if any of you guys have noticed this, but there are like a few different holidays happening at once today. And we actually want to take a minute just to, to notice that. Like one of them is Juneteenth. Has anybody celebrated Juneteenth? Yeah, a little bit. Maybe you went to a fair or you read a book or an article, something to lean in. Yes, I'm seeing some some nods and that is a good thing so juneteenth commemorating the emancipation of enslaved peoples in our country and for a church that man we really want to lean in to god's heart for justice this is an important day for us to actually say yes we recognize this and we know that it is both a now and a not yet work it's something that has happened and something that we're still working on as a country and we we want to listen and we want to learn and we want to we want to do the work too we want to lean in so we are are celebrating juneteenth together this sunday and then there is a somewhat complicated holiday more of a cultural holiday that happens on this particular sunday in june which it is father's day and so we want to recognize that you may be coming in with lots of different emotions on this day called father's day some of you are coming in and it's a great day it's super happy Others of you are coming in and it's it's a really hard day. Others of you, it's just any other Sunday. Like it's, it's just not a big deal. Um, and we just wanna let you know that all of those are acceptable and fine. Um, it's happening, this day is happening, and we're glad you're here with us, whatever it is you're bringing in emotionally. And then the last one is really just more a City Church of Long Beach kind of holiday because there is something happening starting tomorrow that we have not been able to do in person in three years. And we actually love doing this thing. Kids Camp starts tomorrow. Woohoo! Yes, and we are just super excited. You know, we're probably gonna have anywhere between 60 to 90 kids who are, are here, and we are just hopefully giving them an incredibly fun, meaningful, connection-filled start to their summer vacation. And they're gonna be something like 50 volunteers <laughs> involved in this whole thing, including a bunch of kids, a bunch of youth who once went to kids' camp here at Lafayette themselves. And so it is just gonna be super fun. Do we have some people here this morning um, and on Online, you can put your hands up too, you know, using the feature or chat or whatever. But do we have anybody here who's going to be volunteering at Kids Camp this week? Yes! Woohoo! All right, look around, see those people, friends on Zoom, see those people. Because as we pray this morning, we actually want to pray a special blessing over you as you are leaning in and trying to love those kids well this week. Um, a quick note, our nursery is open this morning. So if you have kids from the zero to three range and you'd like them uh, to have some incredibly wonderful people looking after them this morning in the nursery, you can take them there. If we have any older kids with us this morning, we are inviting you to stay with us in the service. Uh, but we do have some coloring supplies out in the lobby if anyone needs it. 
So I would love to pray over our kids and the people who are going to be working with the kids from the neighborhood and Lafayette School all this week. Would you guys pray with me? God, it's good to be here this morning. It's good to sing and to pray and to think, God, your, your kingdom come, heaven come. There are so many ways that we actually want to lean into that this morning, remembering your heart for justice as we celebrate Juneteenth, and especially thinking about the kids in our midst, the kids here with us this morning, in the nursery, on Zoom, the kids who are part of this community here at Lafayette and in the Wrigley neighborhood, um, because these, these are kids that you love. Thank you for the privilege that we get to be with them in just a special and fun way this coming week. Would you be with all of the adults and the teenagers, the youth who are going to be serving this week? Would you give them lots of patience? Would you give them ears to hear that they'd just be able to, to interpret? You know, maybe they're going to be kids who sometimes, you know, are a little cranky uh, or aren't listening or whatever it is, God. Would you just help us lean in and hear their hearts, whatever's happening? God, we want this to be an incredible week for these kids that somehow, through our actions, they would sense your love in a special new way. God, we trust this whole week to you. Be with us even now as we're here together, listening connecting, wanting to be more like you. Thanks, God. Amen. Thank you for praying with me. Would you welcome up our friend, Bill White? Oh, so fun. All right, this one, I might do some walking, so oh, I got to get over here. Hmm. I might use the other one. Hi, I'm Bill. Good to see you guys. We're glad you're here. Um, we are in this sermon series, and uh, this sermon series is called Complicated Jesus because um, relationships are complicated, and when you are trying to relate to God, it's complicated. And so we're just trying to acknowledge that up front uh, and say, okay, let's, let's dive in and see if we can maybe learn and, and grow a little bit on this journey. Um, and today, it's, it's interesting, we're, this was sort of the, the assigned passage, we're looking at this text of the crucifixion when Jesus dies. And uh, we took a little poll of some folks at, uh, this, this is our, our fancy tech crew here, that's, thank you, fancy tech crew, appreciate that. Um, we did a poll of some folks here in the, in the congregation, say, hey, what passages are your favorite passages about Jesus, and what are your least favorite passages? about Jesus. And today uh, is a passage that uh, some people chose as their favorite and some people chose as their least favorite, right? Because it's complicated. And we're going to kind of unpack that. And as it turns out, it fits really perfectly with uh, the two holidays that we're celebrating today. And we'll kind of see that unfold as we look through this passage today and try to sort out, why did Jesus die? What, what's that all about? So, but just by, by way of intro, I, I want to give a couple of pictures of why we're talking about this and why we're trying to sort through Jesus's death. So for one, it's, it's like a lot of the, there are four biographies of Jesus's life, and they all spend a fair amount of time looking at his death. It seems very significant. And there's lots of reflections in the Bible on why he died and what that did and what that means. Uh, and so it, it's significant from sort of the Christian tradition, but within, like 
more kind of uh, just the, the stories that people tell. I remember sitting uh, on my couch after dinner, uh, we had some folks over and I was talking to this woman and she said, you know, I just don't know if I can believe in a God who was an abusive father. Because, and she says she grew up in a, in, in a home where she was taught that uh, Jesus died because God was angry. God was angry with all of the bad things that we've done. And so instead of destroying us, God destroyed Jesus, his son. And she's like, that sounds really kind of gross. And some of us are coming out of that tradition. It's, there, there's a fancy term for it called the penal substitutionary atonement theory. <laughs> yeah, pretty cool name, huh? I wish you got that name. But uh, so some of us from kind of the Christian tradition are trying to sort this out and make sense of like, what, what is this? What does this mean? But there, there are other folks. So here's another person, another city church person. So the first person was a city church person. Uh, and this person, I asked permission this morning, and so it's Chandon, and some of you guys know Chandon Fang, he's here today, uh, and I asked him for permission. He said, sure. So Chandon grew up with zero religion, okay, none. So he grew up in mainland China, and there was, there was just no, he wasn't, he wasn't atheist, he wasn't anything, he just said, like, there was just no religion. And so he comes, he, uh, he, he's working in the States, he marries somebody, he has a family, raising a family here in, in Long Beach. And he calls me up a little while ago. Our kids went to school together. And so we're, we get together for um, some, some tea on a Thursday afternoon. And we're sitting down. And Shannon says to me, he says, you know, I don't understand this whole, like, why did Jesus have to die? It makes no sense to me. Like, why is that a part of your religion? Like, that's a good question. And so that's what we're going to, we're, we're just going to kind of sort it through today. Right, for those of us who are religious, those of us who aren't, trying to sort out this piece of the puzzle. For those of us who, hey, this is my favorite part. I love it that, that you know, this is because it shows for some of us, like, God's great love. And for some of us, it shows all the weirdness of God. Right? And so this is for all of us on this journey together to try to sort it out. So our friend Kimbo Bohini is going to read scripture for us. If you would welcome Kimbo. Look at that guy. Come on down. And we typically stand around City Church as we hear God's word read, just as out of kind of respect. And, and if you're on Zoom, you don't have to stand. I mean, you can. Thank you. Okay. Uh, good morning, everyone. Happy Father's Day to all those who are fathers. Um, today's uh, scripture reading is from the book of John, uh, chapter 19, verse 28 through 30. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they uh, soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it uh, to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The word of the Lord. People of God, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. There you go, you gotta get the code words right, man. Come on. Yeah, you're, you're out. You just keep walking. <laughs> uh, so this is at the very end. Jesus is on the cross, and he's dying. And, and I mean, there's a thousand things that we could go into that we're, we're not going to go into. But I want to look at this, this line he says, 
It is finished. It is finished. And then he gave up his spirit. And I want to ask the question, what was finished? What, what, what did he finish? Was it just his life that now it's ended? The, the word there for finish is this really cool Greek word. Um, it's this word telos. Um, and we get it from, we get our word telescope. Uh, from from this, where you kind of see the end from the beginning, like you, it's like, and this this means telos means end or finish. Uh, a lot of times it's used for the word perfect or complete, uh, like a flower in full bloom is 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 telos, or a piece of fruit that's just ah it's so ripe, it's it's telos. And Jesus is saying that now it is finished. And this whole time he's been saying, like, I came to this world to, to do some things, and now it's complete. Now we, we've done it. And so what is it? And for some of us in the back of our minds, there's this penal substitutionary atonement theory, this idea like, oh, that God killed him. And that somehow that, that generates something for us like freedom or forgiveness. Um, and that, that may be, I mean, you, you can get there from the Bible, okay? You, you can get there. I think there's some other ways that might be more helpful. And so what we're going to look at is we're going to look at three different images from the Bible about what was finished, Okay, so the first really ties into Juneteenth, right? This idea that in our country, we have privileged certain people who have the right to own others, right? And there's this, uh, I mean, even up till this day and age, there's a sense of, in, in, in many places, that the culture values whiteness, it values maleness, it values straightness, it values ability, um, these sorts of things. And, and there's this perspective that really comes from, from underneath the, the main theologies of the day. The main theologies, if you look through like American traditional Christianity, Okay, like so I went to seminary, fancy school, they taught me all the fancy stuff, and all the people we read, guess what their ethnicity was? They were white, and guess what gender they were? Yes, and of course, do you think there were a lot of trans authors that we read? No, they were very cisgender, right? And they were straight, and they were, and they were all educated, they all came from the educated class. And so there's no wonder that there are certain sort of theories that come out of this educational privilege that are blinded, that we just don't see, like, there are other ways to see this stuff. And you could say that kind of that theory that I was talking about earlier about God being angry and Jesus taking it uh, instead of us, blah, 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 it's, it's kind of transactional and it's really helpful for people like me. Because I'm good to go. I'm free, man. It's awesome. And it doesn't call into question things like privilege or power. 
but a number of authors through the ages who have come up from underneath, from the margins, from the sides, have leaned in and say, no, there are actually some other ways to see this. There are other ways to look at what Jesus did on the cross, what he finished, what was telos. And so they look at some passages that are very prominent in the New Testament that people like me have kind of overlooked. Um, and, and they say, hey, look here, this is a great picture. So I want us to, we're going to think about three different images, and I'm just going to write them up here because why not? Um, and this first image is, a, is the image of solidarity. That, that what Jesus accomplished in the cross was utter and complete solidarity, connection between God and humanity. Saying, I see you, I get you. It says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. As it is written, cursed is everyone uh, who's hanged on a tree, which is this old random passage from the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament. So this is Paul in the New Testament writing after Jesus has died. And you say, hey, look, Jesus was cursed. Jesus knew what it was like to, to be the object of violence. And he unpacks this in this letter to his friends in this region called Galatia. And he's, he's trying to show that Jesus gets it. He understands what it means to be pushed out, to be considered damaged goods, to be considered um, not good enough, not the right whatever, fill in the blank. Considered cursed. And there's a theologian who, in some ways, he took these themes that had been running in American Christianity but had largely been dismissed, and he publicized them. And he, he helped sort of more of the mainstream see this. His name is James Cohn, super important theologian. All right? And he, he has this, he basically, he, he just says, look, God is black. If, if you don't know that God is black, then you don't know God. And he says, God is poor. And if you don't know that God is poor, you don't know God. And James Cone grew up from this African-American tradition that saw God on the margins, that saw God as cursed, that recognized like this, this is what the cross is. This is what it finished. It proved once for all that Jesus went all the way to the very end, to the telos, to prove he knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to be pushed out, to be beat down, to suffer violence. So I'm just going to read one little quote from James Cone, um, and it'll be on the slide here. But to understand what the cross means in America, we need to take a good look at the lynching tree in this nation's history, the bulging eyes and the twisted mouth that strange fruit that Billie Holiday sang about. Blood on the leaves and blood at the root. The lynched black victim experiences the same fate as the crucified Christ. He, he wrote this book called The Cross and the Lynching Tree. Right there, like, are you making the connection here? That Jesus was lynched. And he shows to everyone who is lynched, God knows what it's like.
God has been the object of violence. God is not far away. God is near. Right, and so my, my friends here who, uh, you, you're, you're queer. God is queer. Right, you're, you have a disability. God has disability. This is, this is who we are. This, we, are we are the people gathered from, from all, these, all these places. And God says, yeah, that's me. And that's the image of what the cross is. We're going to look at a, at a second image, um, and we're going to look at this passage, and it's, it's kind of long, and it's, it's a little winding, and it's a little messy, but we'll figure it out. Um, and this is this picture of adoption, asking the question, what did Jesus accomplish? What did he finish at the cross? And, and this image comes up many times, just like the solidarity image comes up many times. Major theme in the New Testament. This picture of adoption, it, it, there are a couple of key places it comes up, but we're going to unpack here just this one kind of longer piece. Uh, again, it's, it's out of the book of Galatians, where Paul is trying to help people understand what, what Jesus did there on the cross. And he, he says that there's, He's talking about adoption, and he has these two other images he uses. He talks about um, when you're a kid, it's like you were enslaved, or when you were a kid, it's like you were, um, like you were under a trust. You had trustees that were governing your behavior. It's like you're off at, um, oh, I don't know, like like um, sleepaway camp, right? And they, the people at sleepaway camp had. You know, they had authority over you until you got to, to go home. And when you grew up, then you don't. So that's, that's the picture. So let's, let's read this passage. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of read it and kind of talk it through just briefly. Um, so Paul is writing. He's saying to these other Christians who are kind of hung up on this idea of what happened at the cross, what I'm saying is that as long as the heir is underage, he's no different from a slave, though he owns the whole estate. So he's talking about you and he's talking about me. He's saying we are heirs. Like, we actually get to inherit the kingdom of God. All of us. Okay? So that's the image. But, but it doesn't look like it when they're young, right? It looks like they just look like a slave. They had, they had the Roman slavery was slightly different than American slavery, chattel slavery. Um, There's there still ownership involved. There's still control involved. But it wasn't quite as violent um, and there were, there were ways to purchase yourself out of it and things like that. But anyway, so he's talking about this slavery. Like when you were a kid, you were just like a slave. You didn't have authority, right? And then he goes on, he says, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father, right? The father is the authority figure who says, okay, now, now you get to have your inheritance. So also when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental forces of the world. And there's a sense in which, it's all the toxic stuff in culture gets to like have its way with us. Like, oh, you're not skinny enough. Oh, you're not manly enough. Oh, you know, all, you know, you gotta have more power over people. You gotta be able to control your own destiny. You know, and these toxic things, you gotta have more stuff. Now, these are the things that he's talking about that when you were a kid, like this, this was all, that was your inheritance, right? And then he unpacks it more and he says, but when the time 
when the, the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, he's talking about Jesus, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Now, in the first century, it was only the sons who got the inheritance. Paul is actually going to write in this letter that women are now sons also. Okay, now he's, you know, he's not at the point of talking about transgender identities, although that's kind of cool, but he doesn't. He, he's, he's just trying to get us to this picture of saying, no, you're all in. All right, you're all in. And he uses, you're, you're the heir. You get to own this because you are God's sons. God sent the spirit of the son into our hearts, and the spirit calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir. So it's like everything God's got is yours. You're adopted into God's family. And there are these two forces. There's this kind of the forces of slavery, and then there are these trustees. And he talks about the law as the trustee, and it's a sense of like, I, I think the most helpful way to think about the law here and, and the way that Paul unpacks this in a couple other passages is if kind of being a slave is all those external toxic forces, being a being under the law is all the internal toxic forces where you're like, oh man, if I just do this, I'll be good enough, right? Like they'll accept me if I really, you know, and, and, and the ways that we pressure ourselves and the rules we try to make ourselves live under to be good enough, to be accepted. And Paul's saying, that's hogwash. You're already an heir. You're already destined to be so deeply belovedly connected to God. It's just for a time you don't see that. For a time it's like you're a child and you need to grow into that point where you get the inheritance. And it's this picture of, of the cross. There's another passage in Colossians where he says, you know, it was on the cross that he nailed the written law to the cross, right? Destroying it so that you could be adopted as God's children. It's like these, these legal actions were, were being taken at the cross so that you know you're loved. You're in. You don't, you don't have to try to be good enough. You don't have to try to prove yourself. And you don't have to give in to all the crud going on out, out and around you or the crud inside of you. Right? That prayer that we pray the, uh, that, that Amy sung for us, right? It, it has that line, you know, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I think of that as the temptation is the way we try to fix ourselves. And the evil is the way that it's, it's the internal stuff we need to be delivered from. And the evil is the external stuff we need to be delivered from. So that we can know we're the children. We're the beloved children of God. And that's a total game changer. Total game changer that we get to be loved. So this image comes up zillions of times in the New Testament. It's not that God is angry that the Christ dies. It's God is showing us, no, I want you to know you're adopted in. You're part of the family. And we have a bunch of adopted folks here uh, at, at City Church, and their adoption stories are always precious, right? Um, but we're going we're gonna to talk about the third image, which is the role model. Why did Jesus go to the cross? He was trying to prove all the way to the end that he loved us so we would know how to love. 
right? He's showing us that he's in solidarity with us. He understands injustice and is calling us to work for justice. He, he's showing us that we are dearly beloved. And then he's saying, because you are loved, now this is how you live. It was, to, it was as a role model. So Maya Angelou, uh, she grew up in a, in a family of faith, but it wasn't, it wasn't until later when she understood this whole adoption stuff that changed how she lived it out. So this is what she writes. She says, uh, I believe that there was a God because I was told it by my grandmother and later by other adults. But when I found out I was a child of God, when I internalized that, when I ingested that, I became courageous. Right? There's a sense that these are connected, right? These, these are connected. And when you get like, no, God gets me, me. God loves me. Like God claimed me. God wanted me. Whoa. Now all of a sudden you can be courageous. Like, man, I want to be like that guy who went all the way to the cross. In John chapter 13, in one of the, the biographies of the New Testament, it talks about Jesus that knowing that he had come from God, knowing that he was returning to God, he, and he knowing that the cross was right there, he was, he was going to die. He's like, because he knew who he was, he took off his outer garment, wrapped a robe, a, 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 a towel around his waist, and, and poured water and, in a basin, and he started washing feet from the, of the disciples. Because he knew, he knew he was in solidarity with these people. He knew that they were loved and he was loved. So he's like, and then he goes on and he says, hey, if I, your Lord and teacher, this is how I treat you, how should you live? And this is the, the purpose of the, of the cross. So in Ephesians chapter 1, I mean chapter 5, um, through the, in the end of the book, this is again in New Testament where Paul is writing to Christians trying to help them understand what happened at the cross. This is what he says. He says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, right? We've been there. And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's why Jesus died. So that you, you could see like, man, God loved me that much? I've been kicked to the curb and God is in solidarity with me? Wow. And God chose me? This is what adoption says. Adoption says, I want that one. They weren't forced on me. No, I want you. I see you. Right? You, you're the one I want. And so it's like, we're, we're the dearly loved children of God. Therefore, live a life of love, just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for you. Like, this is, this is why the crucifixion, this is why Jesus died. This is the telos. This is the purpose. This is what he finished off. He just, he nailed it. I went all the way to the end. I loved you all the way to the end. That's why Christ went to the cross. So you would know this. That you are the beloved God. You are the beloved of God. And get to now live that out in justice, in service, in love to the entire world. Um, I want to show you just a couple pictures, and then we're going to pray. Um, so there are missionaries in town that we support. 
And missionary gets a weird, loaded term, super funky, like, oh, let's go tell everyone else they're wrong, right? And how right we are. All right, this is, this is not these people. So you want to put up the first picture there, Joe? Um, so these, this is uh, Nuranchala and Sofiq Seung, and they are awesome human beings. You're going. You're doing awesome. Thank you, Joe. It's coming, man. I believe in you. And they are, they live in Phnom Penh, and they serve, they live in the urban core uh, of this huge city, and they serve with kids, and they, they, so, so that's uh, Sopik in the back there, um, the, uh, with the tank top. He's the, he's the dad, uh, and he grew up in this city, and he started a soccer league because these kids didn't have it. And, uh, and then he, they have them over for dinner all the time. And we want to show that next picture. And this is uh, Nuranchala uh, there with a little scarf around her neck, scarfy thing, but, uh, and a couple of her kids and some of the neighbors. And they're just amazing human beings. Uh, they're actually going to, they're here in town. If you want to meet them, love to have you meet them. Uh, they're doing a little thing on Saturday morning, I guess. But they, uh, when I, so I talked to them on occasion. We've had dinner with them um, and just correspondence. But you get this sense like, why would we not live amongst the poor? Like, this is where Jesus is. Jesus was poor. And you're like, oh, yeah, that, that's right. There's a sense of they, they saw what the cross means. And when you talk about, I mean, when you meet these folks, they are just so full of joy and so full of love. You, just, you can't believe how much they smile. And they've been through it. They've had some stuff go on. And then they just, all they want to do is give it away. They want to just follow what Jesus has done for them, making them the beloved of God. I had this great conversation with them a couple of years ago. Um, as a church, we decided to, to align the kinds of ministries and nonprofits that we support as a, as a church to align those with our values, right? Because we just kind of picked up some folks over time that we, as a church, support financially. And we support um, Nuranchala and Sophie. And so I called him on the phone. We actually had a Zoom. We had a great conversation. And I said, hey, you know, I just want to, you know, we have a lot of like LGBT people who go to our church. And I wanted to ask, like, you know, this is kind of a value for us. And they're like, oh my God, yeah, we love gay people. I'm like, you do? And they're like, oh God, well, yeah, we think they're great. I'm like, are you, are you kidding me? Like, I, you know, and I was just surprised because I'm used to like the missionaries, you know, like, and they have, they come with all this baggage, but I'm thinking of people like me, white, male, straight, cisgender, you know, Western, and, and they're from the neighborhood and they're beloved of God in solidarity with Christ and they know his brokenness. They know it in their own bodies, in their own streets. And so what do they do? They give out love to everyone they can. It's just stunning to see. And this is what it means for us to be the people of God. So that's 